0: Often when the New Year rolls around, many of us make all kinds of resolutions.
1: Not to eat so much.
0: Give up chocolate for a year.
1: A New Year's, I don't do New Year's resolutions. I'm I'm, I'm like anti-establishment on New Year's resolutions.
0: Well, back in the 1700s, there was a 19-year-old kid named Jonathan who didn't shy away from resolutions. It wasn't a new year. These were just things that Jonathan Edwards wrote down in his journal and several of them had to do with his supreme purpose in life. Resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, but what tends to the glory of God. You don't necessarily have to write out your resolutions, but it is healthy for all of us to think through our reason for existing and how that affects our responses to life's problems.
1: Resolved that I will do whatever I think to be most to the glory of God and resolve to do so whatever
0: difficulties I meet with, no matter how many or how great those difficulties. So fast forward a few centuries and we find a pastor named Trent Griffith also talking about God and His glory. Everything I see points to Him. Everything I
1: experience points to Him. It's all for God's glory. I live my life to glorify God. I spend my money to glorify God. I save my money, I give my money to glorify God. I work, I go to school for the glory of God. I stay married, I stay loving, I stay changing and transformed all for the glory of God. That's what's so glorious about God.
0: Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. You were made for more than the mundane. Today's edition of Resonate hopes to drive that home. You were made for more. Last week, Pastor Trent talked about the fact that we were made to glorify God. He'll continue with that in just a moment. If you wanna review any past Resonate programs, just head over to harvestgrangerorg Resonate and you can listen there. Today, we're going to hear a few highlights from last week, then continue this message on the glory of God and how it ties into our purpose for existing. Here's Pastor Trent. We need to answer the question this morning, what
1: is the glory? Now, the word glory is an interesting word. It's a Hebrew word pronounced kabod. Have you experienced the kabod. The word means wait. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter eleven, and we're going to look at it here in verses thirty-three through thirty-six. Let me just read it, and this is the Apostle Paul. that's feeling the weight of the kabod, and he says, "Oh, don't miss the O oh of the kabod." Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Say, nobody. Nobody. Or who has been His counselor? Nobody. Nobody. Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? Nobody. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Let's try to answer this question as best we can. What is the glory? What is the kabod? What is this weightiness? James McDonald says it this way. He says, um, the glory of God is uh, is what emanates from God. Think of it this way. As wet is to water, as light is to bulb, as heat is to flame, glory is to God. It's that which can be known of God. It is God on display, the manifestation of God's presence. Now the manifestation of God's presence is simply God's responsibility. And he loves us so much that in grace, he discloses himself. The second way we're going to describe glory is this. Glory is the magnification of God's person. If the manifestation of God's presence is God's responsibility, the magnification of God's person is my responsibility. I was made to glorify God. It is my supreme purpose for existence. If glory is the display of God, secondly, it is my delight in God, it's my enjoyment of God. Glory is what inspires praise. But people that don't see God as glorious, do you know what they spend their time doing? They redirect their praise to less glorious things. And they spend hour after hour after hour watching the pretty people in the movies. And they spend hour after hour after hour watching the athletic people play with balls. <laughs> the Olympics and ESPN and stadiums are built For the glory of athletes and movie theaters and Netflix and concert halls are built for the glory of artists and musicians. Universities and high schools and even elementary schools exist for the glory of education and intelligence, but the glory of God exceeds them all. He brings more of a sense of all than the greatest achievements of man ever portrayed in a concert, a theater, or a stadium. Don't let your heart get trapped by what you think is glorious and miss the glory of God. Let it bring you to your knees, how glorious God is. Glory is a Christian's ultimate answer to the question, why? If I ask you, um, why did you get up in the morning? This answer always works, for the glory of God. Why did you go to work today? Answer, for the glory of God. Why did you go to school today, teenager? Crickets in the teenage section. It's like, I'm not quite sure the school exists. The correct answer is for the glory of God. Why does this church exist? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. That's why we do it. Did you know that one day the whole earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of God. That's what Habakkuk chapter two, verse 14 says. For all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Again, John Piper says it this way. Missions exists because worship does not Just think about that for a second. Do you understand that right now there are places on the earth that have no knowledge of the glory of the Lord? There are places where there is not glory going up to God. That's why missions exist. We have to go tell them how glorious our God is. Missions is not ultimate, Piper says. Worship is. And wherever you find weak worship, you find weak missions, weak giving to missions, weak obedience, weak passion. And so it is all about. The knowledge of the glory of God getting to the ends of the earth so God can get from the people he created there that which he created them for. The glory of God. What is glory? Let's put it this way. Sum it up as simply as I know how to. Glory is the revealed excellence, supremacy, and perfection of God. I don't don't know how to say it any simpler than that. The weight of God's excellence, the weight of God's supremacy in all things, and the weight of God's absolute moral perfection. And the more of the glory of God you see, the more you are changed under the weight of it. What is the glory? Here's another question. Let's try to answer that. Why should I glorify God? I think I can answer it this way. Because God is glorious. Let's go back here to Romans chapter 11 where we started. Look again in verse 33. What's the first word in verse 33 of Romans chapter 11? Oh. Do you know what is missing from so much of our worship? The oh. Either you will Have an O in your worship or you will have a yawn. And whenever the O is missing, you lose the weight of the glory of God. Why should I glory in God? Because God is absolutely glorious. This is the Apostle Paul writing and he's just finished the most incredible explanation of the sovereign purposes of God and salvation. And he comes to the conclusion and it's as if he steps back and he just raises his hand and he shouts with all of his might, oh, the depth of the riches. What is so glorious about God? Well, think about about the glory of God's riches. That means that God is supremely valuable. That God is to be treasured, not just studied, but treasured above all. The fact that he has a glory in his riches means that he is worth more than anything it would ever cost you to love him, to follow him, to serve him, to obey him. He's worth all of it. He's worthy of your attention. He's worthy of your time. He's worthy of your talent. He's worthy of your money. He's worthy of your affirmation. He is worthy of your enjoyment. He is worthy of your worship above all other earthly treasure. Oh, the glory of God's riches. He goes on and says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom. Oh, the glory of God's wisdom. That means that God does whatever He pleases and every decision God makes is wise. Every decision God makes is right. In fact, God is so wise in everything that He does, That something more wise could not even be imagined or conceived other than what God has done. So whenever you see God doing something that you don't understand or can't explain, you can be assured, if you have experienced his glory, that God has everything under control. Oh, the glory of God's wisdom. He goes on, the depth of his riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. Oh, the glory of the knowledge of God. That means that his mind is more full of information in all the books, in all the libraries, in all of the world. He knows more than Siri, Alexa, and Google Home combined. God's mind is filled with more data, then all of the information on all the servers in the cloud on the internet. What God knows makes all of that information look like a first grade reader. Oh, the glory of the knowledge of God. Not just macro knowledge, but micro knowledge. God knows you. God knows what troubles you. God knows what you care about. God knows what you can't figure out. God knows what you did last week. He knows what you're thinking about right now. He knows what's going to happen next month. So why are you worrying? Because you are not living under the weight of the glory of God. Oh, the glory of the knowledge of God. God has never needed a counselor. That's what it goes on in verse 34. It says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's been His counselor? God's never looked at a situation and said, hmm, I'm going to have to get some advice. I, I have to bring in a consultant. Um, I, I just, I don't know what I'm going to do about that. It's been said many times before, but has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? Oh, the glory of God's knowledge. How about the glory of God's judgments? He goes on and says that. How unsearchable are his judgments? God is the judge of what is right and wrong, true and false, good and evil. God is the absolute standard of moral excellence. God doesn't change his mind. About his judgments. Whatever God judged to be true 5,000 years ago is still true today. He doesn't take opinion polls, He doesn't change His opinion upon anything based on what's going on on the earth. He never gets a better idea than He had the day before. He is constant, He is unchanging. Oh, the glory of God's judgments. And one day, you and I will stand before Him as judge to the degree that we have lived our life according to what God says is right is the degree to which we will be judged. And to the degree to which we have lived our life outside the boundaries of God's judgment, we will be judged. Oh, the glory of God's judgment. Changes the way that I live. And he goes on. He says, How inscrutable are his ways. Oh, the glory of God's eternal ways. His eternality. The ways of God have never changed. Oh, the glory of thinking about the fact that that God never had a beginning. No one created God. God is the great uncaused. Cause of all things. He's not dependent upon anyone or anything else for his existence, and yet everything in existence is completely dependent upon God for their existence. And God will never have an end. He has no rival that will ever threaten his existence. He will never become extinct, and God will never get an upgrade. God is not improving. God is not developing. You cannot improve absolute perfection. He is eternally, forever perfect. Oh, the glory of God's eternality. We get down to the end in verse 35. It says, who has given him a gift that he may be repaid? Uh, If you thought you were doing God a favor, like by being in church today, no. He's like, if I go to church, maybe God will treat me better this week. No. No. God doesn't owe you anything, and yet you owe him everything. That's the glory of God's grace. At his very nature, he's a gracious God that loves to give good gifts to people. That's why in verse 36, it says, for from him, everything I have comes from him. It all still belongs to him. God owes no one anything. He loves to give good gifts to bad people. He loves to love people. He loves to forgive people. He loves to give life and breath and thought and creativity to people who don't deserve any of them. Oh, the glory of God's grace. And then the glory of God's power. Again, verse 36. For from Him and then through Him. That's the display of God's power. Everything I need comes through Him. When you're running low on power, when you're running low on strength, when you're running low on the ability to resist temptation, do you know where you get the power to accomplish that? You get it through God. Everything you need comes through Him. And then the glory of God's purpose from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. God's purpose is that all things point to Him. Everything I see points to Him. Everything I experience points to Him. It's all for God's glory. I live my life to glorify God. I spend my money to glorify God. I save my money. I give my money to glorify God. I work. I go to school for the glory of God. I stay married. I stay loving. I stay changing and transformed all for the glory of God. That's what's so glorious about God. Now, That's good news and bad news. Here's the bad news. Romans 3.23 tells us what sin is. Sin is falling short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've got some glory. The truth of the matter is we are all created in God's image. We all fall short of God's glory. God created us to be glorious, and yet we have such a lightweight understanding of His glory that we sin in many ways all through the day, all through our lives, because we don't treat God as glorious. That's what it means to fall short of the glory of God. And one day we'll stand before this glorious God and we'll have no excuse for why we fell short of the glory of God. That's bad news. Here's the good news. Hebrews 1.3 says, he, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. There was one man who didn't fall short of the glory of God. He was the God-man, Christ Jesus. John 1.14 says, we beheld his glory The glory as of the only Son of God. Jesus was the radiance of the glory of God. If you want to see God, you have to see Jesus. He was the ultimate manifestation of the presence of God. He came to be one of us. He lived a life that was glorious because our life was so less glorious than God. And the truth of Scripture is this. If you try to step into the presence of God to experience His glory without a shield, you will be incinerated. That's the story of the Bible. So you need a shield. You know what the shield is? It's Jesus. He is the mediator between a glorious God and the inglorious you. Because He is the radiance of the glory of God. Are you in Christ today? If you are in Christ, you have seen his glory. Now, let me ask you this question. Why can some people sit and listen to a message like this and feel the weight of God's glory and other people be checking Facebook on their phones and more impressed with the glory of whatever happened out there than what we just experienced here? why can some people weep through a message like this and other people sleep through a message like this? The scripture tells us, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, actually chapter 4, it says this, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Here, it doesn't happen much anymore, but a a bride at a wedding might wear a veil. And I, I guess the idea is we don't want we, we don't want to see it, her in all of her glory until it's that right moment where the veil comes up. <gasps> oh, you're so beautiful, so glorious, right? Well, here's, here's what happens in a spiritual sense. Until you see Jesus Christ in all of his glory, it's as if you have a veil on. You can't quite see how glorious he is. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. That's bad news. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Do you know what's happening right now? As I've done my best to try to preach about the glory, Satan has been doing his best To keep you from seeing it. He's trying to blind you. He's trying to convince you. God is not that glorious. There's so many other glorious things. Did you see the closing ceremonies? I mean, those are glorious things. That's what Satan's trying to do. That's why so much of that is filled with pagan religion. It's trying to divert your attention from the glory of God. Scripture goes on and says this, For God has said, Let light shine out of the darkness. And he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For those of us that know Christ, by his grace, he has come and turned the light switch on and helped us to see how glorious he is and how awful our sin is in his presence. And it brings a weight to each one of us. Do you see it? Can you see it? Maybe for the first time, some of you have seen it today. You can't just walk away from it. You have to let the glory bring you to your knees until you repent of sin. You turn your life over to Christ and you say, God, from this moment on, I want to live for your glory. It was what I was made for. I was made for more than myself. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Would you just sit there for a moment under the weight of God's glory? Maybe your response is just to praise Him, to worship Him, to thank Him for His glory. Maybe you need to turn right now from something that you've been giving your glory to. Let's don't race past this moment. If you've been living your life in a way that doesn't reflect the glory of God, trust that God would open your eyes to see His worth, His value, and that you would treasure Him above all things. Lord Jesus, I pray that um, each of us would live our lives in view of Your glory. Thank you for opening our eyes, the light that was shining our, in our hearts. I pray that you would continue to show us more of your glory. God, change us, transform us under the weight of that glory. Thank you for your grace that shields us and even transforms us from one glory into another glory. Pray it in Jesus' name.
0: And even though you may not have been there during that service, it's not too late to stop what you're doing right now and reflect on the glory of God. You can spend time praying wherever you are. And if you'd like to join us for a worship service, we'd love to have you. The website is harvestgranger.org. There's information there about when and where we meet, including a new church plant in Elkhart County. Again, our website is harvestgranger.org. And if you're on Facebook, just search for Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. So we've heard about the glory of God, what it is and why he is so glorious. Next week, Pastor Trent gets practical, answering the question, exactly how do we glorify God? And what does that actually look like in our lives? I hope you can join us again next week as we answer these questions. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that you would glorify God by allowing His Word to resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.